So we're, like I said earlier, we're in the season of Advent, and we're in the second week of our sermon series on Advent called Adventageous. And the idea there, I know, so so clever, I like dad joke clever, right? Uh, the, the idea there is that as we wait on the Lord, it's easy to kind of think about it in an idealized way and um, kind of just uh, nostalgically look at things about Christmas and there's a time for that. But also we're in the midst of a very difficult waiting period in our world and in our in our culture. Uh, we've just had a very anxious election season that seems to just won't die even. Uh, we're in the midst of a pandemic. And the scriptures are not unfamiliar with this type of waiting, this type of just longing for things to be normal, things to be safe. And often in the scriptures, we see um, not, a, not a nostalgic or, or perfect, advantageous working out of waiting, but of times where God seems to uh, not show up when his people expect him to, uh, or that um, he, he, God seems to be really late, or, or when God does show up, it's not what we want it to be. And last week, we talked about that some as we looked at a, a sermon titled The Shape of God and recognizing that um, if we're looking for this silhouette or this shape of God to be the way someone has taught us or told us that the divine shows up, we could very well miss the presence of God, that God shows up in a variety of ways and we can't count on it looking in just one way or a way that we're most comfortable or familiar with. And this week, uh, what we're going to be talking about is how to prepare for the expected. Not the unexpected, but the expected. So if, if we already know, and you can go back and listen to that first sermon if you want to connect it with this one, um, that the shape of God can, can look in a variety of ways, that God is indeed showing up in our world, then we can expect that that will happen that at different points and times that we will see God's presence in our lives and we've got to be open and present enough to be able to acknowledge and see it and, and get the, the, the grace and the gifts and the goodness that comes from that. And so this morning we're going to talk about what does it look like to prepare for those experiences. Um, there's a, there's a, a lot in the scriptures about preparation uh, for God. We read it in our liturgy this morning in the book of Isaiah. And uh, those words are echoed in John the Baptist as one who prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah. So that's where we're headed uh, this morning, is how to prepare for the expected. Now that we know what we're waiting for will be coming in some shape, form, or fashion. Um, What do you do when you're waiting for something? That's a good question to start with. What do you do when you're waiting for something? Well, it kind of depends on, on what it is. <laughs> Did you just hold up an inhaler? Yeah, oh, your phone. You go to your phone, right? Um, yeah, you, you, you're scrolling on your phone. It depends on what you're waiting for. Like if you're waiting for, to get your tags renewed at the county clerk's office, yeah, you might just be scrolling on your phone. But if you're waiting to get a, uh, a call back from a job interview, you might have more of an anxious response, right? Or if you're waiting for um, a spouse or a, a 
boyfriend or a girlfriend or you're waiting for uh, something that you're more longing for, an ache in your heart, um, that might take a different type of form, a different kind of shape of waiting. Um, if you're waiting for something bad, like, you know, if you did something wrong, can, we could probably all relate to this when you were a kid and you did something wrong and your parents were gone, but you knew they were going to find out, uh, then you might, your waiting might look a little bit different. I, rem- I can remember uh, breaking a window while my dad was at Home Depot. Uh, me and my brothers broke a window. And I will say, there was poor placement of a door in this house. But uh, I-, I can remember preparing for that by putting on lots of extra pairs of underwear uh, because uh, we knew we were going to get a spanking. So preparation can look really different depending on the, the thing that you're waiting for and waiting on. And in this passage, Peter is talking about a couple of things, but they can all kind of be rolled into one idea, the waiting for the day of the Lord. And that's a waiting for a judgment where people who are doing wrong to have to face the consequences of that. And it's also a waiting for those of us who... Um, are waiting for things to be set right, that we feel like we're being done wrong and that the world is wrong and we're looking forward to that day where things can be set right. What Peter is talking about, another way of talking about it, is just the end of the world. I mean, he's talking about the end of the world, which seems to be something our culture is obsessed with. I mean, every other day there's a zombie show and a apocalyptic movie coming out. So it seems pretty relevant to us uh, right now, all of these things that uh, Peter is talking to this congregation about, about waiting, waiting for this sort of day of the Lord, end of days, reckoning, things will be set right, and also like, like an apocalypse, like the end. So let's take a look at these scriptures and see what, it, what in fact he's saying and how that can uh, minister to us this morning. So In the first two verses, this is what he says here in this passage, starting in verse 8, he says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So, when I, when I read this, I think like, well, w- when you think about it the way Peter's talking about it here, it's like time is actually on our side. When we're talking about waiting, when we're talking about things taking a long time, it's almost like he's saying, no, time is on your side. It's, it's, it's a good thing that you have to wait for so long. And I think to sum up what's going on in this sermon is, yeah, it's that patience is actually a good thing. That waiting for things, even though it's hard and even though it can produce temporary ills in our lives and things that we struggle through, I think when we look at the whole of what this passage is about, it's that waiting can be a benevolent and good force if we develop a sense of this holy patience that Peter is talking about. Um, You know, um, Peter's answering some people. If we were to look earlier in this passage, we would see that he's answering some folks who are saying, hey, you know what? We can do whatever we want. We can uh, be gluttonous and greedy and, and sleep around and uh, just do a whole bunch of terrible stuff because, you know what? God's judgment hasn't come so far, so I guess we can kind of do whatever we want. It's been a long time, 
and nothing's happened. And, uh, you know, maybe God, maybe he, maybe he's not interested. Maybe he's not strong enough to bring judgment. Maybe he's not capable. Maybe it's just not going to happen. And Peter's answering and he's saying, you really misunderstand the character of God. He even reminds them that God has brought judgment in the past. And he reminds them of, of stories from the Bible of, of the flood and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and all these things. He's like, God is powerful. He is capable of bringing judgment. But you misunderstand why it's not coming. He's, he's saying here that, hey, God doesn't perceive time the way you're thinking about it. And that God actually wants to give you some time. Use some time to come to your senses, to grow up, to mature. You know, and and it that makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna treat my my one year old like a tiny grown up, right? I'm not gonna say like, man, hey, you need to get it together and work on your taxes and start paying back your student loans. Like, what are you doing right now with your life? Like, get, you're just you're short, but you still got responsibilities, man. No, I'm not gonna treat my one year old like that. And in a sense, it seems like that God is good with us, screwing up a lot and wanting us to finally and maybe slowly begin to turn around, to change, to change our mind, to change our perspective. And, you know, Peter isn't pulling this idea of a thousand years, you know, being like a day out of nowhere. He didn't just make it up. The psalmist talked about this in in Psalms uh, 90 uh, verses 4. He says, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. So Peter's saying, look, you, you misunderstand what God is like and why God might be delaying this powerful day of the Lord type judgment. You know, power without restraint, that's just recklessness. And so it really does matter the way that we imagine God to be in our mind. That's a lot of what we talked about last week. If we imagine God to be a very wrathful God, just chomping at the bit, waiting to catch us doing wrong, that's going to negatively impact the way that we wait for this God to make an appearance. You know, that's where, you know, uh, when Emily held up her phone and I imagined an inhaler, because that's what I would need if I'm waiting on that type of God, right? Is an inhaler or a paper bag to breathe into or something like that. You know, I'm going to need a lot of extra pairs of underwear for that broken window scenario, right? And, you know, this isn't even a divine attribute. We can all think of times when a short amount of time felt like a really long amount of time. It might even be one of the times that you've been sitting listening to me preach, (laughs) Where you're like, how was that only 30 minutes? I feel like I lost an entire day of my life just now, and it was only 30 minutes. Or sometimes when you're doing something fun that you really like to do, time could go by really quickly. Like maybe you were enjoying shopping on Cyber Monday, and you were having fun doing that, and you looked up, and um, you had pee jars around you because you didn't get up to actually go to the bathroom, and you were like covered in nasty wrappers from candy and things like that because you were sitting there shopping all day and the time just flew by. And you're probably regretting that now as I bring that up. So we, we've got the same sort of perspective on time as God does in a lot of ways where um, time is relative. 
That's what Peter's saying here. Time is relative, and it often depends on what it is that you're waiting on is how time feels. It's how time can be understood. And again, this is important as we imagine the how and the whys of the world that we see around us, of the pandemics that we see, of the elections that we see, of the struggles for connection with others and intimacy with others that we're dealing with right now, time, and the relativeness of it. So um, sometimes we've got to just refrain, reframe how we look at it, that we could say, well, we need to, or we are losing hope because something that we want is taking so long to come to pass. But maybe, in fact, it's the most hopeful thing that it's taking a long time for something good to show up, for the presence of God to become so clear and aware and apparent to me. Maybe there's something going on. There's something in the making of that that... Um, just like with my one-year-old boy, that I'm patient, that I'm, I'm not expecting things of him that he's not ready for. So, uh, you know, talking with, with Malia and Benjamin, who are older, and they're trying to figure out, like, how does Xavier get away with this, my one-year-old? Like, how does he get away with this kind of stuff? Like, he just hit me, and you're not going to, like, put him in time out? And I have to explain, well, he's a baby. He doesn't, he's not ready to understand those things yet. And um, we're, we're kind of the same way uh, in, in different ways. So we want God to intervene. We want relief. But at the same time, we've got too much to learn and discover for God to just do it all for us now, show up, change it all. We've, we need time. And here's the idea behind that. Denial. I want to share with you a little bit about this concept of denial. Uh, not, not the Nile, which is also comes up in the Bible a lot, but denial. Uh, so we all live in this relative state of denial. And when we look at passages like this, I can't help but think about it. Because the way that the biblical authors often describe God showing up, the day of the Lord, this, this day of intense judgment and, um, and truth is something that reminds me of reality. I mean, when we read about the way that the sky is being peeled back and, and things are kind of melting, that like the elemental things that make up the world around us seem to just like melt away and we're left with like this just bald sense of reality, of what's really there, what's real and substantive. We can't bear that. We, we can't, we can, we can barely handle um, hearing truth from our friends about ourselves that's easy for them to see. And they've already accepted that we're like that. They've already accepted that we're really long-winded or we're really anxious all the time or we're, or we're rude or we chew with our mouth wide open. They already know these things about us. But a lot of times we can't bear to hear that because it's so true and it's so real and we've just needed to sort of protect ourselves because reality has been a lot. And I see that in the patience of God here in this passage. I want you to listen to this quote 
about denial from a woman named uh, Melanie uh, Beattie who writes uh, a lot and helps people in dysfunctional relationships, which uh, means that uh, we could all benefit from, from her work. She says this about denial. We may have denied other people's problems. We may have denied our own problems, feelings, thoughts, wants, or needs. We denied the truth. Denial means we didn't let ourselves face reality, usually because facing that particular reality would hurt. It would be a loss of something, trust, love, family, perhaps a marriage, a friendship, or a dream. And it hurts to lose something or someone. Denial is a protective device, a shock absorber for the soul. It prevents us from acknowledging reality until we feel prepared to cope with that particular reality. People can shout and scream the truth at us, but we will not see or hear it until we are ready. The patience of the Lord. This is a, oftentimes an undetectable mercy. We're completely unaware of some of these things because ignorance is bliss. We know that phrase well, right? I, I remember, here's, here's, a, here's a funny story. I remember riding in the car years ago uh, with... Uh, a girlfriend, actually, and in the back we had picked up uh, someone that she had worked at a camp with, a, a younger girl. She was probably um, 18 or 19, and we were, ta- we were dropping her off somewhere or something. So she, my girlfriend had been the camp counselor uh, of this girl. And she had started copying paintings. The 19-year-old had started copying paintings like Van Gogh um, sunflower paintings and was selling them to people for 50 bucks. And so she, she, um, she was talking about this, and she was saying, like, I'm giving these people a really good deal. She was dead serious. I'm giving these people a really good deal. I could be charging thousands and thousands of dollars for these paintings. You know, you see the one that Van Gogh did, and that one's worth, like, millions of dollars. So I could at least be charging thousands and thousands of dollars for this painting. And my girlfriend looks at me like this, like, don't you dare. Because, you know, I'm an artist. I'm a painter. And I'm like, that's not the way that works. Okay. Mm, okay. Let me, let me not um, burst this child's bubble. Um, but, you know, we all have areas in, in our lives like that. I think about uh, anybody watch sports? Anybody watch pro sports? What you, what you may or may not know is that probably – at least 50% of the grown men who are well past their prime are sitting on the couch watching those pro sports thinking in their mind like, if I really tried, I could do that. No, no, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. <laughs> because if you could, you wouldn't be sitting on the couch watching other people do it right now. But it's fun to have that sense of denial, that suspension of reality. And sometimes we just need that. And, 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 and it seems that Peter has this understanding here that God knows that about us. And even though he could come in guns blazing with his full glory and the angels like with the 50 million wings and floating around and doing all that stuff, that God's more patient with us, helping us to slowly be exposed to reality. Another word, a biblical word for that is repentance. 
is as you become aware of the realities of the way your life is hurting or damaging yourself and others, that you begin to become aware in a gentle enough way that you can begin to change, that you can begin to do something different. And in one of the lectionary passages that we read this morning from Psalm 85, it says this really poetically. It says, mercy and truth have met together. Now, mercy in the Old Testament means loving kindness. That, that loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring up from the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. I haven't met people that I know of who have changed because they were scared. Remember, remember that show that was real popular, Scared Straight, where they would scare kids, you know, uh, they bring them, you know, into the, into the prisons and stuff. I'd, I'd love to see the data on how that worked out for those for those kids. I think fear is a powerful tool, um, but at the same time, uh, the scriptures say it's kindness. It's the Lord's kindness that leads us to repentance. And we also see that uh, the things that a lot of the prophets were imagining, when they were imagining what it would look like when God came down, were seen to be much different in reality when it was Jesus who showed up on the scene who approached people with loving kindness and gently led them to repentance and sometimes had to just say, like, dude, this is reality and this is what it is. Like, I'm sorry, you've been thinking it looks like this, but this is actually what it looks like. I've, I've grown to believe that the presence of God and reality are not different things. That, that, that when you begin to see things through things, you begin to see things as they are, that is like the presence of God. And that the mystics and those who have sought to do that, they all report experiences of deeper and more transcendent love accompanied by that greater sense of reality, that greater sense of union. So all that being said, Let's go back to this passage here, though, and keep reading and see uh, how Peter describes this um, convergence of, of our world, our sin, and reality. This sense of uh, the day of the Lord here. In verse 10, he says, But when the day of God's judgment does come, it will be unannounced like a thief. The sky will collapse with a thunderous bang, everything disintegrating in a huge conflagration, earth and all its works exposed to the scrutiny of judgment. I just read to you there, um, actually, the message's translation of verse 10. Uh, because I, I think it gets, uh, it's the language of it makes more sense uh, to us as contemporary people, which was the point of the message. So when we look at this, we see a moment of clarity for everyone, that the sky collapses, that everything is like disintegrating, the earth and all its works exposed to the scrutiny of judgment. This is reality taking shape. We can convince ourselves 
all day long when we're doing things that are harmful or hurtful to other people. We can have a million ways to deny what's true about it. But at some point, someday, somewhere, those things will have to fade away. I believe this is the metaphorical language being used uh, by the prophets and the epistles and even Jesus when he talks about these things. It might be summed up in something that we probably say, you've probably said it before, about, hey, you know, with so-and-so and what was going on with them, well, we had a little come-to-Jesus meeting. You ever, you ever said that? You ever, you ever uh, heard somebody say that? Like, we had a little come-to-Jesus moment, right? What, what we're saying is that person was running around starting fires in denial of the flames and the smoke, and all of a sudden, we sat them down and made them look at the destruction that they're causing all around them. The day of the Lord on a, on a, macro, or on a micro scale there. So um, we see this as well. We see this kind of micro day of the Lord as well in the book of Mark as Jesus is dying on the cross. And, the, and it's described as a time and a place where the sky is going black and the earth is shaking and the curtain in the temple is ripped from top to bottom. And this centurion guard, a Roman guard, who helped to oversee the crucifixion of Jesus, is standing there, and he's witnessing all of this. And he has this moment of clarity when he sees not a warrior-conquering God who's coming down and vanquishing him and his army, but a dying God uh, who is in... uh, who is embodying the sins and the pain of all humanity. And he looks in Mark 15, 39, it says, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. So this day of the Lord, it looks different ways in scripture. And um, we have tools as Christians because what, what Peter's about to say is, okay, so this is going to happen. This is going to happen to the world, so then how should we live? And that's when these things like psychology come in, going and seeing a therapist, going to learn about yourself through the Enneagram, um, allowing people in, your, in relationships that are kind and loving and truthful to speak into your life, these types of things to help to broaden and enlarge our perspective of a reality, to let us see more of what reality actually is, like that centurion who had that moment of clarity, that day of the Lord happening. Because when we imagine our perspective is reality, that's when we're far away. That's when we're far away from acknowledging and recognizing the God of the universe. We need an enlarged perspective, and we need help doing that. So, speaking of that, so uh, Peter says this in, in verse 10, and then in verse 11 he says this, so how should we live? Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new 
heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience, listen to this, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Uh, famous comedian who I'm not endorsing, just quoting, named George, George Carlin. He, he's, he was, one of the things he's famous for saying is, uh, that didn't have swearing in it, is uh, inside every cynical person is a disappointed idealist. And so, you know, a lot of these end-of-the-world scenarios are great for fueling cynicism. And, and this, this picture that Peter points to of the disintegration of things and, and uh, the fire and the elements and the melting and all that stuff, there's been a lot of damage done with that image. There's been a lot of damage done by people who make an unholy matrimony between that and unchecked capitalism. Like, oh, we can do whatever we want with this earth. It's going to burn up anyways. And we're just going to kind of like get raptured out of here. We're going to just get beamed up out of here. And uh, so that means like, well, we've, we've got our personal salvation. We know the secret passwords. And so basically we can act like very immature, reckless, not patient children and just destroy whatever we want and be very gluttonous uh, and just take advantage of whatever we want on this earth. And the funny thing is, when we look at this scripture, Peter says the exact opposite. He said, because these things are going to be unraveled and undone, instead, what you should do is live a life that's in accord of what reality will be revealed to be in the new heaven and the new earth. It's, it's the exact opposite. It's not, well, nothing matters and we should be cynical and just take care of ourselves only and take advantage of whoever and whatever we can. But no, Peter is saying actually the whole reality of things, once they are revealed, will be a place where righteousness dwells. That's, that's what the, the undestroyable substance of this reality is, a place for righteousness to dwell. So that, that can give me encouragement that my actions and my motivations matter. That is another image that's used in scripture is the refining fire. That there are things that we do in our lives that when they go through this fire of reality, this cleansing of the day of the Lord, they will cease to be. They will have built and accomplished nothing. But there are works of righteousness. There are things that are done. There's kindnesses given. There's patience observed. Those are the things that will last that will continue on. I mentioned gluttony as, as we get ready to close here. You know, um, the, um, the psychologist Erickson uh, would define that, define gluttony as basically not having faith that your needs can be met beyond the present moment with what's in front of you. So the idea that I have to consume, metaphorically or literally, I have to consume as much as I can right now because I know tomorrow there might be nothing. There might be no one and nothing to take care of me. 
And so I'm even willing to harm myself by how much I consume because I'm so unable to trust in tomorrow, in the somebody else of tomorrow, in the God of tomorrow, in the resources of tomorrow. And that's who Peter was actually addressing, people who were acting that way. They were twisting the theologies of Christianity known at that time and saying, well, we're free in Christ. And it was an excuse for reckless, gluttonous living. Instead, Peter leaves us with this very hopeful picture. This hopeful picture in verse 13 where he says, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Another translation says where righteousness is at home. And he ends with this amazing, amazing idea that the Lord's patience means salvation. This is the op opposite of living a self-centered, gluttonous, reckless life, a life of patience. This is embodied in the church that won't throw you out, your friends that won't abandon you, your spouse that sees what uh, an idiot you are in so many ways and says, I'm still going to stay with you, your family members that know you inside and out, the one, the, those ones that still accept you for who you are. They're all those moments all those places, we can taste a little bit, we can see a little bit of what that means when we say and we read that we should regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. And so this is how we wait for this expected day of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for the way that it teaches us and, and challenges us and encourages us and can give us faith and encouragement. And I pray that as we, we come to the table, that we would have a sense that this table is here for us now, and it will be here for us again next week and the week after that. And that your patience, your patience is with us here, in this moment, in this time, wherever we are. And so we consider those things as we move into our time of liturgy.